Welcome to the Onyx Pathcast. I am here as Matthew Dawkins, uh, as if I am here. At, hang on. Does that mean <laughs> I am on other podcasts as someone else? That's what be, I was wondering. I was like, are you normally somebody else? And today you're Matthew Dawkins. To be fair, you're the gentleman gamer in other places. Oh, I thank you. Uh, but I... Um, oh, it wasn't a compliment. I... <laughs> Uh, so I was doing a recorded questionnaire. I'll introduce the two of you in a moment. Um, <laughs> just this morning for a game that I'm working on. Um, the game's been announced. The team and behind it hasn't. And uh, I was doing some questionnaire vignettes. And I wondered, should I do these sort of in character? Or should I do them as me? And I did them in character. And was referring to Matthew Dawkins as in the third person. And when I got to the end of my recording, I thought, God, I sound like a pretentious twat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to anyone who doesn't know that I already do YouTube videos where I uh, take on personas, uh, they would just think, what the hell is this guy on about? Uh, so now they've just got me talking as Matthew Dawkins, and that's me, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Dixie Cochran. Hello. <laughs> and Eddie Webb. Uh, I guess I'm Eddie Webb right now. That works, yeah. I, yes, I am, I'm, I'm joining you as Dixie Cochran. Um. <laughs> as opposed to Dixie Cyanide. Like the poison. <laughs> <laughs> I've used that handle for so long. I can't change it. Yeah, and uh, um, well, I know, obviously, uh, when this goes out, I'm sure there will still be lots of events rocking the world, but how are you both? Eh. <laughs> yeah. I, I think eh, it's about right for everybody, really. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I know that we did this for last week's episode, so just, like, we're recording on March 25th, so that's where we are at in the global timeline <laughs> of of things mm. happening. Um. So once again, if we release this next Friday and it goes up and it sounds like we don't know what's happened, that's because we don't. Yep. Um, well, on a scale of uh to eh to ooh, yeah, we're firmly in the eh uh, side of things. And hopefully as time goes on, we'll get closer to ooh, but we're not quite there yet. Yeah, I mean, I'm, like, I, I, I know I have been taking the opportunity to um resurrect some hobbies that i have laid fallow for a while um like i don't know if i actually have talked about it here on the podcast but um there's a project me to get around to for years there were some uh soviet era sherlock holmes episodes that were filmed like 79 to like 84 85 um and there's one fan translation on youtube and it's it's, it's okay but it, it's someone who's not a native english speaker um, and so for years, I'm like, I should just really edit those subtitles and, and change the timing a little bit and tweak them. And, and that's, so I was like, well, you know what? I'm staying at home. I'll just do that. And so it's actually been kind of fun to do something that's very different than what I normally do. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm, uh, I am lucky in that I'm an Animal Crossing player and it came out this past weekend. Yes. But I will say that the only times I was not like anxious and thinking about, you know, a global pandemic were the times I was playing Animal Crossing and just, you know, fishing on my little island. Uh, it's a very soothing game since there is very little to do as far as like goals or fights or anything. You're just catching bugs and catching fish and gardening. It was definitely the nice. best game at the best time. Yeah, no, um, I, I was thinking about this yesterday. Do you, I don't know how involved y'all were in Pokemon Go Summer, but Pokemon Go Summer was a magical time yep. um, where everybody came together and waved at each other and you knew your neighbors and you caught Pokemon and it was great. Mm. This is kind like... 
I feel like Animal Crossing uh, Global Pandemic is kind of the opposite <laughs> in that it gives you a really good reason to stay inside and not talk to other people in person. Well, well right. yeah, I, I have seen a hell of a lot more people sharing their Nintendo Switch codes uh, over the last yeah. week than uh, ever before. You know, I think uh, oh, yeah. people were keeping them quite private and now uh, now that we have no real choice but to uh, stay indoors and play games and read books and such... Um, we're all getting connected online, and that's that's a nice thing. Yeah. I had two friends on my Nintendo Switch before this past weekend. It was you two. Mm. And now I have, like, 12. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's, that's you know, that's, that's something that, that's come out of it. Um, I kept thinking about getting back into crochet, but I'm moving soon, which, you know, great time to move. And uh, all of my yarn and stuff is packed up. So I'm like, well, I guess I'm just going to play Animal Crossing at my off time. Yeah. Yeah. I've been uh, listening to a lot of records, and uh, because I'm a hipster, apparently, uh, <laughs> and playing. It sounds better on vinyl, man. <laughs> so it doesn't sound better on vinyl. So- sorry to any music aficionados. Clearly, the best sound quality is digital, as long as you've got decent speakers. Obviously, the speakers are the big feature. But I, um, I enjoy vinyl because I like the I like the aesthetic. I yeah. like the the kinesthetic side of things. Uh, yeah. it, it makes me get up. It makes me look at the art. It makes me turn the disc. And um, and I'm more likely to listen to an entire album where if I had something on Spotify, I'd just be skipping tracks or going oh. back to um, old favorites over and over again. Um you know, there's a reason my most played list on Spotify probably only has about four bands on it. But if I'm listening to vinyl, I'll put it on on the other side of the room and then I will have it on until I need to turn the record over. And only very rarely will I think, you know what, I don't want to listen to the B side. I'm just going to switch it for something else. So So it sounds like that the vinyl actually is opposed to being, as opposed to the the track or the song being the atomic unit, it's rather the side becomes kind of the atomic unit. Yeah, and uh, I mean, in a way, it's a forced encumbrance. You're Mm -hmm. you're making, you're building an obstacle in place to force yourself to listen to the entire uh, album. But I don't really see it as obviously a problem. Otherwise, I wouldn't do it. I actually enjoy the. The fact that it makes me listen a little more closely to songs I would usually skip, basically. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, of course, uh, I'm a big fan of um, of records, especially ones that look lovely, and uh, I have several of them. Uh, But, yes, also playing lots of Cuphead, which is just about the opposite of a relaxing uh, game. But I will, I will go back to it in the next few days, I'm sure, and get past Wally Warbles with my A plus rating. Um, but so far, that has eluded me. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm going to be speaking purely to the Cuphead listeners at this point because I know the two of you haven't um, played it, uh, at least not to any great degree. But there's um, just to show how I guess subjective it all is. I was reading before I played the about the difficulty of Grim Matchstick, the dragon boss that was in the mm. game um, that everyone got mm. so frustrated playing as the dragon and I beat him in about three attempts and oh. there were bosses on island one that I required something like 20 attempts to get past mm. and uh, so uh, I guess it's just different play styles to, uh, or maybe maybe I just picked the right weapon setup or something like that um, but yeah it's. I really enjoy it. Again, I've got the record, the soundtrack of uh, 
Cuphead as well, because uh, I think it's a brilliant game, both in look and oh, sound. Oh, yeah. Visually and from an audio perspective, Cuphead is just fantastic. Mm. I'll, definitely, yeah. I'll definitely give it that. Amazing to think that it came from a studio that had never produced a game before, just two, I know. two brothers who enjoyed playing games in the 90s, 80s and 90s and decided, hey, let's give this a go. That's kind of how I feel about Disco Elysium. Mm-mm. Like, it's just a bunch of people who had never made a game before. It's a bunch of, like, weird punks um, from, I think, Estonia? Yes, Estonia. And they made this game, and, like, I, I don't think the soundtrack is available on vinyl, but I wish it was, because that would be an excellent soundtrack for vinyl. Um, it is available on, on Steam, but... Um, yeah, yeah, it's like, like the I, 70s funk, but done through kind of a modern lens. It's really cool. Yeah, well, most of it's by the band British Sea Power. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you listen to their other stuff, you can definitely hear kind of the sound. Um, but yeah, no, it's a it's a really, really cool game. And I I loved the music, and that kind of just helped with how atmospheric the game was, I mean, which is what music should do in a game. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was one of the very few games that I actually like got the soundtrack for, because I was like, I can listen to this while I'm working. Like, this is perfect, like, working music, because it's mostly lyricless, and yeah. Yeah. It's great. Honestly, um, that's why a lot of times when I'm not using, like, Spotify or whatnot, I, I, my, my work-from-home music is really just video game soundtracks because they're, they're designed exactly to get you into a certain flow and thing. And so when I'm writing or whatnot, video game soundtracks really help me with that, especially if I can find video game soundtracks that are roughly themed to what I'm working on. Yep, so like yeah. I, I do the same like thing. Cyberpunk-y soundtracks for, for my new future stuff. I have like horror soundtracks from my work on things like Vampire. I have adventure soundtracks from work on things like Pugmire. Yeah. Oh I yeah, a lot of that, and also uh, movie scores. Yes, yeah. for similar genres. Like I love a love a good movie score. Uh, see, I struggle more with movie scores than video game soundtracks. I suppose because video games tend to be played over several hours, they've got quite a nice range. Um, but the the Shadow Run soundtracks from the last ten years worth of game yeah. video games are absolutely fantastic for for cyberpunk. So, I think so. Are the, I use I listen to those a lot. So are the uh, Baldur's Gate soundtracks. Mm-hmm. Really good for adventure writing. Yeah, I do World of Warcraft a lot just when I'm editing because I played World of Warcraft yeah. for I got years. I'll get that one. Someplace. So, well, I mean, there's you know, if you look at if if you go on Spotify and you get like the full World of Warcraft playlist, it's, oh, nice. it's hours and hours and hours <laughs> of music because all the expansions yeah. have right. so much music. Um, so I'll just throw that on shuffle. And there's like there's two tracks I think that have vocals, and I always forget about them, and then they pop up and and, and scare me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, because suddenly they're talking to me, and I'm like, yeah, I forgot this one had words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, considering a few weeks back we wanted to do a music and RPGs uh, episode, we've done more on music and RPGs in the last <laughs> ten minutes than we did in that episode when we attempted to record it. So, yeah, there you go. That's how things pan out. But that isn't the theme of this episode. The theme of this episode is uh, to pitch games uh, within five-minute slots. I'm sure we have an elegant way of saying that. What was it? Um, Sell. Yes, yeah, five-minute pitches. Yeah, sell me on games, five-minute pitches. Um, And we went out to the general public, our public, our fans, our customers. We didn't actually go out, though. We maintained social distance. That's true. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, should clarify that. Please don't come after me, police officers. Uh, We went online and asked people um, what games they would like to hear five-minute pitches for. Now, some people proposed games that we covered in our last episode, 
but because we had so many pitches, uh, so many requests for games that we didn't, we're going to happily refer you back to the previous time we did this. I'm sure I will mm-hmm. put in the show notes which episode that was. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, focus entirely on games that we didn't cover last time. Uh, so the games we will be covering, I'm going to do have the short list now because if you are a listener, uh, you may want to jump ahead if some of these games don't interest you. Uh, we will be covering everything from Hunter the Vigil 2nd Edition to Chronicles of Darkness, uh, Aberrant 2nd Edition. They came from beyond the grave. Monarchies of Mao. Thank you, Red Square, moving up and down on the spreadsheet as guidance <laughs> right now, Dixie. Uh, adventure. I'm trying to help. <laughs> Didn't I just do Victorian age mate? It doesn't matter. We're doing lots of lots of these. I uh, know. You know what? I'm done. We're not doing Victorian age mage. So you highlighted <laughs> that in error. I'm not doing five of them. <laughs> No, you're doing these two together as one unit, remember? That's why I was trying to flip Oh, yeah, we're doing Victorian and Mage the Ascension. We're also doing Deviant the Renegades, we're doing Assassins, and we're doing Raid the Oblivion 20. I went too fast for your damn red square. (laughs) This makes great audio content. Yeah, for for illustrative purposes, we have a shared... We have a shared spreadsheet. I'm like a cat that keeps getting, you know, one of those laser pens, Sean, but I don't like it. Um... (laughs) We have a shared spreadsheet with the names of these games on so that we remember what we've got to talk about. And uh, because when you share a a Google Sheet, um, each of you comes up with a different cell color, uh, cell border. This is the most boring narration I think I've ever done. (laughs) And Dixie's uh, cell border is red, and she was just moving up and down between the titles of the games to remind me what I needed to say. So thank you very much, Dixie. So for the record, the reason I was doing that is because we have them organized into buckets based on who's talking about Mm. them. So it's like all of Matthew's and then all of mine and then all of Eddie's. So I was trying to just make sure that we didn't get, like, off track while you were kind of going back and forth on all of them. Now now Eddie's moving oh, around and making my job completely <laughs> obsolete. Uh, but okay. Also, for the record, on my screen, my box is a very soothing, like, dark blue color. Oh, well, so I've I got the... I didn't realize it was a neon red. No, like... no, I've got soothing dark blue on mine. I'm guessing that's sort of user one as far as uh, Google Sheets concerned. Yeah. But on mine, you're purple and Eddie is, like, teal. Oh, so. okay. Well... Anyway, um, who's going to do the timing <laughs> of these? Uh, I did it last time. I'll Shall try. I do it again? Oh, no, because I've got the sound effects. Matthew has the sound effects. Yeah. Matthew, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll time myself. That that makes Matthew my... Matthew is the host, the timer, the sound effect guy. Yeah, you two might as well just go home. Oh, wait, you're already there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> wearing my Batgirl pajamas. <laughs> I'm wearing my Masters of the Universe t-shirt. We are I, stereotypes. I, 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 I dressed up in a nice shirt. I feel bad now. A nice shirt, but no pants. Yes, I had no pants at all. There you go. You've saved it. <laughs> okay. Uh, so we're going to be starting off with the five-minute pitch for Hunter the Vigil 2nd Edition. And uh, that's going to be won by me. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually the way we work these things is one person speaks without uh, what is it hesitation deviation or repetition for a full five minutes <laughs> it's called just five minutes and mm. afterwards if any of the co-hosts have any questions about the game they can ask um, but we aren't holding each other to this so if we right. do run out of things to say within five minutes questions can come earlier 
We also don't pre-write these. These are all off the cuff. Yep. So expect disasters up ahead. <laughs> That's part of the fun. Yeah. Okay. So in a three, a two, a one. Oh, <laughs> friends, <laughs> Romans. <laughs> country hunts of the vigil second edition is uh, the game i'm covering first of all it was requested by a user by the name of tiasi uh he wanted to know or she or they wanted to know about hunter and one of the things i always pitch to people about hunter is not the word hunter but the word vigil i think it's one of the most important visual elements of the game that idea of the mm -hmm. flickering candle light or lamp light or even the frail light from a zippo lighter in the darkness, in the breeze, uh, the only thing that's holding back the encroaching shadows. And that, to me, is what Hunter the Vigil is all about, more than picking up weapons and going out to slay monsters. Your protagonists, as a general rule, are everyday mortals just like you or I, uh, mostly you. And you are more likely than not people that have encountered creatures, phenomena, uh, mysteries that you can't cannot explain, hence why they're mysteries. And they have altered your way of life in some way or other. You can play it the, I guess, uh, expected route where you may have even lost a loved one or a friend, someone may have disappeared and now you want to know the answers. Or it may simply be a subject matter that you are keen to research. You might be some kind of scholar of the esoteric. And to facilitate that, in Hunter the Vigil 2nd Edition, you have these uh, organizations that range from the formal, or highly formal and organized, to the radically informal, known as Compacts and Conspiracies. They play into the tiered level of uh, play that Hunter is all about. You have tier one, where you are just a group of average mortals who have banded together. You don't have any formal organization or hierarchy above you. Uh, you're just neighborhood watch, essentially. Tier 2, that is uh, slightly more formal and may even have a small armory or library where you have groups such as the Union, who are working class heroes. Uh, you have the Loyalists of Thule, who are those scholars of Esoterica. You even have uh, a fantastic group introduced in 2nd edition known as the Sworn, uh, which is a Native American group, uh, I think almost exclusively, uh, which is a fantastic new addition to the game. All the way through to Tier 3, uh, where you have groups such as conspiracies, I should say, known as Task Force Valkyrie, uh, which is a governmental paramilitary organization. Uh, you have the Chiron group that wants to seize creatures of supernatural bent to experiment on them, and they even augment themselves with their bodies and powers. And the Lucifuge, who genuinely believe that they are serving Lucifer and may even be descended from Lucifer. And they are serving Lucifer to annihilate or examine, at uh, the bare minimum, other creatures to see who's on Lucifer's side and who is in his bad graces or her bad graces. Now, uh, in Hunter the Vigil, much like all other Chronicles of Darkness game lines, there is no hard, fast meta plot. It isn't a game where you need to cleave to a certain canon, and because it's from Hunter's perspective, you can pick or choose anything you want or don't want from games such as Vampire, Werewolf, Promethean, Changeling, and the rest. Uh, that means your Changelings don't have to be the same as the Changelings in Changeling the Lost if you don't want them to be. Uh, the primary antagonist in Hunter the Vigil 2nd Edition is the Slash uh, 
uh, to tie into the kind of horror movie theme and the idea of fallen hunters. In fact, Hunter the Vigil 2nd Edition is known as the Slasher Chronicle because each of the 2nd Edition Chronicles of Darkness games has a sub title like that. Uh, the slashers in second edition come in two different forms. They are, I believe, and uh, they are rippers and scourges. And rippers are mortal and, uh, well, mortal, I'm not going to say frail, but more fragile slashers than scourges, which have bordered and fully stepped over into the realm of the supernatural. So if you want to think of your horror movies, the stepfather from the movie The Stepfather, God, that was an odd one to pick, uh, is a ripper. <laughs> uh, but fantastic portrayal by Terry O'Quinn, one of my favourite actors. Good on you, Terry. Uh, what a movie to choose. Uh, whereas, <laughs> All the slasher films out there. Uh, I should say that I think he comes back uh, as basically a scourge comes Stepfather 2 because he should be dead at the end of Stepfather 1. <laughs> So there you go. Stepfather is a game that you should watch if you're interested in Hunter the Vigil, second edition. And I haven't even got into tactics, endowments, and the powers you use. I've ran out of time, but it's a fantastic game. Please buy it. And that's me very nearly done. Um, yeah. Oh. <laughs> what? what is that? What is that sound? Uh, that was... I don't like that. No, no, I, I can't stop it either. Um, <laughs> oh my god, why did you choose uh, that? Did, why is it, it still it going? It was on the soundboard. I think that was a Vuvuzela. I was that's a Vuvuzela, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so... too many. So that, well, I think that was the general feel of people at the World Cup when the Vuvuzela was introduced in uh, Oh, I didn't Brazil. like that. No, I think a lot of people thought there were too many of them and they just wouldn't stop. Uh, so yeah, yeah, the Vuzella <laughs> brought an end to my Hunter the Vigil pitch, but I managed to last five oh, minutes. I mean, true. Mm. You also Good on you. stalled a bit at the beginning. And well, I did, in fact, go slightly... So. Uh, yeah, I did slightly go over the five minutes just because I thought, shit, I've got to pick my phone up and get the sound effects on. Oh, fair enough. Uh, fair so enough. I, think, um, I think I did all right. That's fine. We'll yeah. let it slide. Um, are we going to cover any questions to do with Hunter? I didn't even credit any of the writing or development team. I feel like a complete ass now. Uh, all credit to the writing and development team of Hunter the Vigil 2nd Edition. I don't know that we did that last time. I think it was mostly just about, like, here's the game. Yeah, right, that, yeah. that's true. But as I've mentioned it now, it would be distinctly odd if I didn't follow it through. Uh, Monica Valentinelli and Danielle Lauzon did an absolutely wonderful job with this book. Mm -hmm. And the writing team working for them uh, pulled a lot of very disparate and difficult threads together to make a game that is cohesive and workable. So... Uh, I give big kudos to them. It took some doing to make a game of mortals in Chronicles of Darkness distinct from Chronicles of Darkness, but they managed yeah. it. Also, fun fact, we're recording this on Danielle Lozon's birthday. Yeah, That's true. Happy birthday, Danielle, if you listen. <laughs> if you don't, Now that you've mentioned you. her, I feel like I have to bring it up. Yes, it's good. <laughs> uh, so, that's my first five-minute pitch. Uh, shall we flip straight over to the next one? Sure, Reagan. Okay, uh, you get additional points, Dixie, if you can work a reference to the stepfather into this, starring Terry. I had never heard of the stepfather. <laughs> I googled it after you mentioned it. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> it really wasn't the best example of a slasher movie. Except no. it isn't a bad movie. Uh, the sequel is pretty poor, but anyway. Dixie, in uh, you're going to be talking about Chronicles of Darkness in 3, mm -hmm. 2, 1. 
Okay, Chronicles of Darkness, uh, first of all, was the first core book I ever worked on, so you should get it on principle alone. Um, however, the the best way I can describe Chronicles is actually to kind of contrast it with some of what Matthew was just saying about Hunter. Um, in Hunter, you at least have your cell of people that also believe in the supernatural and are working with you. In Chronicles, it's even more kind of baseline mortal game, where you don't really know what's out there. Like, you, you, you hear a bump in the night, you think the house is haunted, but Chronicle of Darkness, you can run anything from, um, like, all of Buffy's friends in Buffy, without Buffy herself, <laughs> to something like Scooby-Doo, because uh, that's that's the kind of game it is. It's very, very street level. Now, I think this person who was asking, it was also uh, Tiasse from the last question, was asking us to talk about Chronicles of Darkness as a whole. Um which includes, I think, 12 game lines now? Is it 12? Might even be 13, if we include Contagion. Okay, yeah, we include Contagion Chronicle. It's it's 13 games. Um, So what I'm going to say about the system of Chronicles is that it is very easy to pick up and use. It's very easy to plug and play different splats together. Um, It is really, really... Gosh... It's kind of hard to like do with like all of Chronicles at once because all the games are pretty different, you know. Mm. Um, but what, what what I like about Chronicles versus Classic World of Darkness is that it is more toolboxy and it is more like build it yourself. Um, whereas you know, World of Darkness has this whole plot going on and there's a lot of of canon characters and canon events that have happened. None of that is in Chronicles. It's just our world. Uh, there's just monsters in it. The, the, the tagline for World of Darkness was always our world but darker and I know when I was talking to Rose Bailey about Chronicles a while back it was more just like it's, no it's just our world like there just happened to be monsters in it <laughs> mm-hmm. so the, the whole world itself is not darker so you could play a perfectly modern day game introduce you know some threat some monsters that are happening but past that it looks just like our world so if you live in the world it's a really easy game to run um, any kind of session in because it's like, hey, you know what the mall looks like? Okay, that's where you are, you know? <laughs> and that's that's what I think I like about Chronicles. The the baseline game has everything you need to play just humans in the world. Uh, but also it has a few supernatural merits for people that can maybe like sense ghosts and the like. And then it's also a really good jumping off point for any of the other games. Um, because you can play a group of mortals who become mummy cultists, and you can play a group of mortals who become vampires. You can play a group of mortals where one becomes a hunter and one becomes a beast, and how does that work? And that's that's the other thing that I like about it, is that it's a whole game that can be used for a prologue, um, or for a, you know, movie one of the three movie trilogy, which I personally like about it. I don't know if y'all have any questions about it, because Chronicles is really hard to describe just by itself. It's like, you're playing people. <laughs> I think it's fun. I think it's a great prequel game, like I said. Uh, I've got a question about Chronicles of Darkness. Mm-hmm. Uh, from your perspective, uh, if you're playing mortals in Chronicles of Darkness, which of the other Chronicles of Darkness game lines are best suited to merging with a game like that? Or would you find more difficult to merge with a mortals game? I think probably the easiest would actually be to go into Hunter. Um, as you like move, move your game up because in Chronicles of Darkness generally you're finding out about monsters and things and then probably you're not happy that they're there because you're a mortal person mm-hmm. uh, so becoming a hunter is the logical next step mm-hmm. um, but I, I also think it'd be interesting to play a game of Chronicles of Darkness and then have everybody die which I've heard of people doing and then go oh, in and yeah. do a geist game 
Um, Because, yeah, having your whole party die and then be like, cool, we're playing a different game now. Same characters, though. Now you got ghost friends. Uh, I think that's a very, very cool idea. Any of the other ones do work as far as just like you, you know, you get turned into vampires. You can get turned into werewolves. Like there's, you know, turned to werewolves. You can become mummy cultists, like I said, and then maybe add one more player as the player playing your mummy. Hmm. So there's, you know, tons of options for it. But easiest is probably hunter or geist. In my humble opinion. Uh, I have a question as well. Um, this is a large topic. Uh, uh, you mentioned that it is much more kind of, of toolboxy. Um, mm-hmm. And the World Darkness, there's definitely references to the other games, but the ability to actually play them together is not easy. Um, does Chronicles do a better job at being able to kind of synthesize and merge? Like, I want to have a werewolf friend and a vampire friend. I think it does. Um, one of the things that it doesn't do as well when you're playing the baseline games is pitting them against each other, which we have tried to cover. I'm afraid oh, uh, with that Waluigi sound, your time is <laughs> up. <laughs> we'll re- replay it in case you missed it. Well, <laughs> well, in that case, I will not talk about how great Contagion Chronicle did at doing crossover, Matthew. I don't know. I'm sorry. Nah, that's well, all right. He, <laughs> has, uh, forbidden it. Yeah, next time we do one of these pitches, uh, we'll talk about Contagion, but not today. <laughs> I... I will say, as, as my one follow-up, because we were doing this last time, is that if you want to see how some powers interact against each other, uh, the Contagion Chronicle Player's Guide yes, be a helpful supplement to pick up. Oh, That's it's going to be excellent. Uh, so that takes us straight over to Mr. Webb, Indeed. the person you are playing today, Eddie. And, <laughs> uh, and you are going to be speaking uh, about... Uh, about what? Aberrant 2nd Edition. Uh, are you ready? I am ready. Okay, so in three, two, one. Uh, this was asked by uh, Phil Edwards on Twitter, so thank you, Phil, for asking about it, because Aberrant is really cool. Um, it is part of the Trinity Continuum, so it is a, um, a game that's set in different timelines. Um, we talked about Trinity last time. Aberrant is our near future game. It is set in 2028. So it's about um, a few years ahead of ours. Um, and it in Aberrant 2E, in 2018, a uh, satellite exploded. Uh, sorry, a space station exploded. And uh, as a result of that, for some reason, uh, super-powered individuals started manifesting. They, they uh, are called Novas. And one of the first ones was uh, um, a fireman who became known as the fireman who can actually absorb and control fire. Um so now it's 10 years after that, and the world is, looks a lot different from the way it does now because we have 10 years of these novas who have innovated uh, uh, the religion and technology and society, you know, where you have people who can get, you know, take famine-stricken countries and just give them food because they can, make, they can cause crops to grow or rain to fall. Um, so, the, so it's definitely a game where what happens if superheroes existed and then could actually make put their stamp on the world. Um, it's also, Aberrant has always been a game where it's about um, how popular culture intersects with it. Um, in the original first edition, um, there was a lot of reality television vibe to it. Um, so for this version, it's much more about things like social media. Um, you know, if you're a superhero, and like one of the example uh, uh, anecdotes we give in the book is a teleporter and she just says, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna take my camera and sh- live stream a world tour. And so she just pops around the world streaming different areas um those are the kinds of things that the the interesting intersection of what you do when you take 
the things we do as a modern culture and, and apply superpowers to it. Right. Um, as well, there are also different uh, factions. It's not uh, necessarily good or evil. Um, it is more divided than the first edition because first edition was very muddy morally. Uh, this one's a little more distinct. There are definitely factions that want to benefit society and their factions that feel like society is better uh, structured by tearing things down. Um, the example I kind of go to is if you take uh, the X-Men, it's like the Charles Xavier who wants mutants to coexist with society and, and have live with humanity and do better. Um, and there's Magneto who feels like society should uh, be mutant oriented. Um, and so it's kind of a rough analogy where you can see both sides. You can see why both sides have the decision to do, but they are still fundamentally at odds. Um, so the two big ones in, in uh, Aberrant is uh, there's the Aeon Society, which uh, fronts the uh, Team Tomorrow. Um, and Team Tomorrow are definitely the kind of group that go out. They, um, solve deal with issues they um help countries in need they, they give advice suggestions but also they fight large catastrophic they're your justice league kind of characters um and opposed to them are the terrigen who believe that a nova supremacy and the, like, the only way novas can survive is if they are predominant um and uh that the group uh, that primarily they connect with uh, the nova wides are called the aberrants um hence the name of the game um and they're led by diva small and again they say they're not necessarily evil they just feel like the current social structures are based on humanity and don't reflect what novas need um so there's a lot of interesting and those are all playable factions there's other ones aside from those um uh, like there's like the the Daedalus league which actually goes off into space and explores space with these newfound powers um and all of this ties into um what eventually becomes down the road, uh, the albert war and is eventually set up for trinity continuum aeons so if you want to play where the game's going to go down a specific direction, you can if you really want to. Um, but also in the backgrounds, there's things that are called modes or tones um, where you can actually, you know, I want to make this more like 90s gritty dark comics. Uh, I want to make this more like Silver Age superheroes. And you can slide the rules around a little bit and play them in different ways to get those different genres of comic book out. And if you want to just ignore the, the meta plot and just do your own thing, you absolutely can. There's nothing stopping you. You can't just play a straight up superhero game if you want to. But the pieces are there if you want to have the connectivity between core trinity to aberrant to aeon um and on top of that i mean uh since we're talking a little bit about teams um we were lucky enough to get uh, steve kenson to write uh, he was lead writer uh, on aberrant and he has made most of the superhero games you've probably paid in the past 10 years um he was a huge aberrant fan and one of the things that he was very passionate about is that the first edition was very uh inclusive particularly of of queer characters and so he wanted to make sure that uh, being a gay man himself that we continued that tradition and we did and we got even more inclusive um so you see a wide variety of characters from all over the world also different orientations and talking about you know some of the, some of the conflicts they have in society that is a very ominous thing. <laughs> I'm afraid. Yeah, I'm afraid Wario cut you off there. That's fine. That's the rules. He's gonna win. It's the rules of this game. Wario's gonna win. Wario's gonna win. <laughs> oh, I do Don't like. I, I've got to be honest. I do enjoy listening to people enthuse about the Trinity games because uh, they went. Mm. They were games I never got into uh, before mm. I got into this industry. Um they just weren't being played in my local areas, so I never got the opportunity to really 
invest in them. But uh, when people like yourself and Ian uh, and Leith and other, others really talk about what they love about the Trinity Continuum, it's, it's like hearing about Vampire the Masquerade for the first time for me. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That I find that kind of enthusiasm really just, it, it, makes, it makes me happy. And I will say, yeah. certainly, I'm a, I'm a recent convert. Um, I didn't play them either in first editions very much. I played a little bit of Aberrant. I played a little bit of Adventure, but that was about it. Um, so really, it's been a lot of, of what uh, Ian and the whole team has brought to second edition. Um, you know, people, like, again, then Daniel is on and, and helping to shape the, the modern version of it. Seeing so, you know, see all this cool stuff, to me, it's, it's relatively fresh. And so I'm really excited about the possibilities. Mm-hmm. The amount of people at cons who, when you kind of point at Anne and are like, you can play Mass Effect with this, and they're like, what? <laughs> that's that's often a big selling point for uh, for Aeon. But honestly, I think Baseline Trinity is really cool, too, with the talents. And it is. All that stuff. So, yeah. The whole continuum. Indeed. Except that wrestling game. Nobody wants that. Oh, the wrestling game. I think it tastes like a wrestling game. <laughs> uh, again, ne- next time we do this, we'll be further along with that project. That's true. Um, so, uh, our next uh, game is one that I will be pitching, and it is They Came From Beyond the Grave. I suppose I am the most appropriate person to do that, although, again, both of you worked on it, so you can catch it. Oh, the grave! I had sound the whole time. <laughs> oh, that... I wish I had a theremin. It is a theremin. <laughs> I just saw someone playing a theremin in real life uh, a few weeks, a few months ago. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty cool. It is. Well, uh, with that said, I will uh, start my uh, stopwatch. Uh, stopwatch being on my phone. I don't actually have a stopwatch. Who has one of those these days? PE teachers? Uh, <laughs> anyway, they came from me on the grave in three, two, one. Uh, They Came From Beyond the Grave is the (laughs) second in the They Came From line of games. A line of games, hopefully, we'll see at least a few games released for. Uh, It's the sequel, in a sense, to They Came From Beneath the Sea. Uh, Beneath the Sea covering B-movies and sci-fi schlock of the 1950s, whereas Beyond the Grave covers Hammer Horror, Corman Horror, the horror of the 1970s, all dappled in cigarette smoke stains and also in the gothic in well wealth of the 19th century and that is something that they came from beyond the grave is particularly keen on it divides your gameplay between the 1970s and the 19th century in what was uh, something developed for the game uh, quite late on into its outline stage um I will dial back. If you're a big fan of uh, <laughs> movies like Tales from the Crypt, of uh, the Christopher Lee Draculas, of the Amicus movies like Asylum, Portmanteau movies, that's what we are kind of going for, for they came from beyond the grave. These are stories where you will play characters in the modern era being the 1970s, and you will encounter all manner of adventure and horror and drama and mystery. But at some point during your story you will go back in time effectively to the 19th century where you would be playing historic versions of your characters they may well be ancestors they could be completely unrelated people the point is you don't create mm-hmm. new character sheets because they are still meant people with the same template 
as an example, in They Came From Beyond the Grave, you will play members of archetypes such as the Hunter, the Mystic. Uh, you will also have the Dupe. The Dupe is one of my personal favourites because it, it oh. isn't the kind of character you would traditionally want to play in a game. Um, but where that character may well be a completely ineffectual fop in the 1970s, maybe an art student, uh, they, uh, in the 19th century, they may well be some kind of aristocrat uh, who is financing an expedition to Castle Dracula or something like that. Uh, and you still get to play the same character, just in a different era and with no knowledge of the fact that that character also exists in the future. The story will mm. come to a close when your characters hopefully learn something, defeat the evil... Or when you jump forward to the 1970s and the evil has risen again and now your modern characters have to deal with it as well. Uh, it was a an interesting take on this kind of horror genre, I thought, and uh, the writers have really seemed to get on board with it because of the kinds of creatures that have been introduced into the rather encyclopedic monster chapter. Uh, everything, <laughs> we had so much fun. <laughs> everything from Dracula, the Dracula, to uh, we've got noble vampires, we've got feral vampires, we've got werewolves, we've got Frankenstein's monster we have uh, mummies we have zombies we have of course let's not forget the devil himself, the devil himself. in all caps <laughs> uh, I wondered whether that would get tiring while redlining uh, changing everyone's references to the devil himself into all caps but I found it didn't I, I just laughed every single time I can't, <laughs> yeah. I can't guarantee everyone else will have that same reaction but I don't care. Uh, Every time I wrote it, I giggled. Well, uh, as long as we find it funny, Dixie, that's the main thing. So, mechanically <laughs> speaking, they came from beyond the grave, used the same system as Beneath the Sea. It's the story path system adapted for this cinematic style. You will still have powers such as cinematics, props, quips, written by our good friend here, Mr. Eddie Webb. Um, we also have the uh, the stunts that are very popular in the story path system, although they've been pared back somewhat from Beneath the Sea for more, I guess, uh, appropriate use for this kind of game. Uh, some of the new cinematics uh, for this game uh, particularly tickle me like the small set cinematic that can actually prevent the antagonist from escaping just because they can't get past the protagonists uh, and when they try and go through the door they find a brick wall on the other side or the poor craft catering um, which results in everyone just feeling incredibly nauseous during the entire scene <laughs> uh, we uh, also have an absolutely sublime uh, uh, director's advice the director's chair chapter which i take my hat off to the writers because it is absolutely fantastic and shows you a whole range of ways you can run these games uh it's not as farcically comedic as beneath the sea it's more dark mm -hmm. humor and hammy but i think it really hits the genre on the head and i'm incredibly happy with it <laughs> There you go. And appropriately, we've got a King Boo laugh. Wow. Uh, Perfect. Yeah, at the five-minute mark. So my question is, um, how much... If is that doggy like something... in the window? Oh, sorry. Right. How much is a dog? No. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking in my head. Uh, no, so like, if I want to drop like the devil himself into my they came from uh, beneath the sea game, how easy is that to do that? Uh, you can do it with pretty much zero fuss. Uh, one of the things I was very keen on 
with these they came from games is to make them sequels to each other uh, that are completely reverse compatible uh, to the point that even the similar archetypes are different so we have a professor archetype in the in this game we've got a scientist in the previous game while they sound the same they have completely different abilities um completely different tropes associated with them and uh, different quip lists and so on so you should find very little repeated from book to book in terms of, uh, I guess, mechanical flavor, what I would call mm-hmm. uh, the, the the cinematics and quips and so on that are appropriate to this game or the last one. But you can quite easily stack them on top of each other to make just one very big movie game. Uh, so my, my hope is eventually if we do more of these They Came From games, you will have a just a massive range of playable archetypes powers and just lots of worlds you can dip into as you wish exciting and uh thanks to aaron bolliard for asking it on twitter yes i didn't give you props aaron but thank you at aaron bolliard very much appreciated we should probably start shortening our uh time between these or else episode's going to be two hours long. (laughs) yeah or we can divide it into two and That's save true. us, and yeah. save us the job of doing another episode next week. <laughs> um, true. Well, yeah, maybe we will. Maybe we will. Uh, but let's see how we get on with the next next one, which is going to be the Monarchies of Mao, and our narrator will be Dixie Cochran. Hello. <laughs> Wait, so you're going to do it and I'm just going to narrate it? <laughs> I'll be playing. I'll be playing Monarchies of Mao. And yeah, you can say um, Tabby Wildcat. Didn't, oh, that's an awful name for Monarchies of Mao. I'm going to let you that's go. That's not a yeah, Monarchies gonna, of Mao name. I, 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 I was even worked on this game. Oh, wait. You Apparently, did I did. Game. You know, actually, as a brief aside. I received a book in the post that I worked on the other day. It wasn't an Onyx Path book. Uh, it was a complimentary copy for having worked on it. And as I was reading my words, I thought, oh, I really phoned this in, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> and as I was reading through it, I was frowning. I was just looking at the words and thinking, oh, okay. Hmm. Not my finest work. I'll put that one on the shelf. And that is... <laughs> Because, you know, we sometimes we have fantastic days where we work on a yeah. book and mm-hmm. pour out top quality, solid gold words, and sometimes we try our best and And it's it's yeah, fine. Yeah. It's it's acceptable. Yeah. acceptable. Yeah, uh, and you don't generally realize it when you work on it. Um, certainly, I would never go back to the first books I contributed to and read what I wrote. Uh, anyway, oh God, no. um, speaking of, Monarchies of Mao in three, two, one. <laughs> Are you saying that it's acceptable? <laughs> well, okay. let's let you be the judge. All right, so Monarchies of Mao um, is the companion game to Pugmire, I would say. Uh, it is its own game. It's a separate game. I know some people get confused and think it's a Pugmire supplement. It is not that. You do not need Pugmire to play Monarchies of Mao. If you prefer cats to dogs, just pick up Monarchies of Mao and get going. Um, what I like about Monarchies is they do have a very different system. Most people are familiar with Pugmire when it comes to, you know, they worship man. They believe that, you know, they were the servants of man, etc. Et cats are a little different. Um, cats believe that man was on Earth to serve them. Um, and, you know... They're a little bit more concerned about being an excellent cat than about being uh, a good cat. 
Uh, some of the history of monarchies is they were uh, a lot of like fractured kingdoms and they have since unified into one kind of large body called the monarchies of Mao in which there are still uh, six separate monarchies. The more I say monarchies, the less the word <laughs> right. <I guess>. Um <laughs> But yeah, so it's 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 six unified monarchies. Um, I think they get unified after the War yep. of Dogs and but, Cats. Well, it's Eddie, kind of in the right? middle, but yeah. Yeah, so they, they came together during that. They have kind of a tentative truce with Pugmire. If you start kind of right at the place where the game is written... Uh, dogs are still pretty suspicious of cats and cats are still pretty suspicious of dogs. You can, of course, kind of tweak that a little bit, obviously. So if you want to play a mixed party of dogs and cats, you definitely can. And they can be best friends. Like, they don't have to be mistrustful of each other. They don't have to be, you know, essentially a little racist. Mm-hmm. Um, they could, they can be totally cool with each other. Um, but just like in human society, some of them are probably still a little racist or a little spe- specious, right. as yep. it would be. Um there, like, Eddie's trying so hard not, not not to say stuff while I'm pitching his game. This is so great. <laughs> yeah, bring, bring good job. This is, this is He's so sitting well. there in judgment, um, witheringly. So there are six new callings in this. It's not the same callings as Pugmire. Uh, so you've got champions, footpads, mancers, ministers, trackers, and wanderers. Um, they are all a little bit different from the Pugmire callings, so you're not retreading the same ground. And then even the ones we're putting forth in Pirates of Pugmire are a little bit different, so we're not retreading the same ground. Um, so they are all, you know, they're all still based on D&D classes, but uh, Mancers, for instance, are kind of necromancy-ish, but mostly they're just one of the kind of straight caster characters. Uh, they can do a little bit of everything. Um, also, just to be perfectly frank, the book has a really gorgeous art, mm-hmm. and I recommend picking up anything that I just think is a mm-hmm. pretty book. Um, I love all the cat portraits that are in it. I love the way the layout is a little different from Pugmire. Um, but mostly I like that this game's a little bit more shadowy and political than Pugmire tends to be. Uh, Pugmire tends to be more of the kind of classic D&D, we're going to go on an adventure, we're going to go, you know, fight a dragon or what have you. Um, even though there's always that kind of dark nostalgic undertone through all the games. Monarchies definitely has a lot of people playing politics. Like every house has, has its own secret tongue that people speak. And cats cats have secrets instead of uh, tricks, right, Eddie? Yes. Okay, yeah, so secrets replace tricks, just because, you know, if anybody knows about cats and dogs, that's a difference that makes sense. Um, and then, yeah, so it's, it's it's a little more politic. You can still go on adventures, you can still, you know, team up with other people and go discover relics. Um, but really, cats are more about being the best at what they're, they're doing and trying to do things to better themselves and their houses than they are... Like, I don't know. Dogs are a little bit more noble. Cats are a little bit more uh, sneaky. Yeah. They're all they're all little sneak sneak thieves running around. Um, they are very curious, of course, because they're cats. They're super inquisitive. Uh, they don't really have as much of a religion as the dogs have. So if you don't want to play with that, you don't have to. Um, and then you know each each one is serving their own person and yeah. Or their own, you know, monarchy. I'm bad at doing this this time. I was way better at this last time, and I don't know why. That's fine. I keep, like, running out of things to say, and I'm like, why am I running out of things to say? I love this game. I can have this game forever. Um, well, let me ask you a question, then. Because I don't, th- I don't think you're sure. doing badly at all. I think you've just been more comprehensive and less <laughs> waffly than Eddie and I. Um, <laughs> so my question to you is this. Uh, how easy is it to, to merge games of Monarchies of Mao and Pugmire? It's incredibly easy. It is it is ludicrously easy. Um, because they both use the same stripped-down 5e OGL, 
um, because it is canonically that the kingdoms are really close to each other, separated only by the fearful forest. Uh, it's it's really really simple to merge. We we established in the first Pugmire in, in, in Pugmire. Ah, I was gonna say. I'm gonna finish my thought is that we established in Pugmire that there are cats that live in Pugmire, so it is not hard to put them together. Wonderful. With that, with that scream, Wilhelm scream. scream. Yeah, I know, I know. Um, and... I have so many questions about Monarchies of Mal. I don't know anything about this game. <laughs> Can you answer my questions about this game, Dixie? <laughs> no. Um, I'll handle. So this was uh, this was another one from uh, Phil. I don't think I don't think you got around to saying that. Um, but Phil Edwards, Aethers Phil on Twitter at Aethers Phil. Thank you very much, Phil. By the way, for chiming in with so many requests, it is appreciated. Uh, mm-hmm. And and likewise, yeah. anyone who uh, put in a request for this episode, it really is. Uh, we're very grateful for that level of interaction with the podcast. Uh, it's always nice to know we are being listened to and that people are interested in what we've got to say. So, uh, thanks to everybody who is who has participated in this one and any future episodes. Totally, yeah, we like questions. So, if you ever you know want to throw a question at one of us on Twitter, we always put our handles out there. And if you have an idea for an episode that you'd like to hear, then we are here for you. Yeah, because damn it, we've run out of ideas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is we've lost hundred episodes. So. Right? <laughs> yeah, we don't know what we're doing anymore. <laughs> uh, that being said, though, um, um, I, th- I think that's a good point, Dixie. You mentioned earlier that um, we have been diving into these a little deeper than we usually do, which is cool. I love it. Um, but we have like five more to go, so maybe it makes sense. Maybe we can, we're kind of wrapping up now. Maybe we just save these for a part two episode down the road, so we can have even more five minute pitches. Dixie, if people want to find you online, where might they go? I've I'm, I've left. I'm gone. I'm done now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dixie Cyanide on most social media. DixieCochran.com. What about you, Eddie? Uh, Pugstudy.com. From there, you can find all my social media stuff. Oh, and you can find me on MatthewDawkins.com on Twitter as Clack Click. Bang, and always uh, come along to the onyxpath.com on a Tuesday morning because by that point the Monday meeting notes will be up. And uh, you can find out all the current uh, states of our various and sundry projects, of which we have many. Uh, do tune in uh, to us next week where you will hear the exciting second part of this episode. And believe me, much of the last 10 minutes would have been edited out. So you have no idea what we were just talking about. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Many Worlds, One Path Cast. <laughs>